right, well, good morning. And let us do the Torah deep dive for this week. And um, it's a beautiful, beautiful little little teaching from the Rebbe on this week's Parsha. This week we have Parsha's Vayigash. We have the dramatic reunion of Joseph and his brothers and his father. And the whole family moves down to Egypt, which you, of course, know is the, um, really the very starting point for the eventual very difficult phase that the Jewish people would have to suffer in Egypt. The 400 years of being in a foreign land with all the persecution and suffering that the Jews suffered then. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. That's the theme of today's class. And maybe it's even apropos for today. Today is a fast day on the Hebrew calendar, on the Jewish calendar. Today is the 10th day of Teves, of Tevet. And today we fast, we remember, we mourn. This was the day that the Babylonian Empire, the army of the Babylonian Empire, laid siege on Jerusalem. And we remember this day, every single year. It was really the moment which began the destruction of Jerusalem and the Holy Temple. And we remember it. And in fact, it's very interesting. It's, we could, it's, a, it's a class for itself. Today is a Friday. It's Shabbos. Shabbos is coming. No other fast day is able to happen on a Friday besides this fast day. From a certain perspective, this fast day is, is more serious than even the other fast days. So tonight, Shabbos comes in. What, what, what time is candlelighting here? I think it's 545. Tonight at 5.45, Shabbos begins. We cannot eat until 6.30, about. And I don't know the exact minute. That's an amazing thing. A fast day, which is a day of sadness, of mourning, creeps into Shabbos. The only fast day that, that, that is allowed to do that is this fast day, the, uh, the, the, the 10th of Teves. And uh, it's for another discussion. But today, the pain, the suffering, the struggle, it's going to be a very big theme of today's, of today's class. Let us read. Dear friends, let us jump in. On page three, let us read a little portion from today's parsha. We all know the story. Let's, let's give a little bit of a recap. Hello, Marshall. Welcome, Marshall. Let's give a little bit of a recap to the drama. Joseph is sold into slavery by all of his older brothers. Horrible story. He is sold as a prisoner to Egypt. <clears throat> In Egypt, he gets framed by the wife of his owner, would you say? Uh, he gets thrown into jail, but fate has it. Joseph climbs the rungs of leadership uh, very abruptly. He immediately becomes second to command. He becomes he goes from a zero to a hero. He becomes a leader in Egypt. And then famine hits the Middle East. Egypt, Israel is suffering a seven-year famine. And Joseph was the one who put the plan in place to save civilization. And the only food available, the only food available in all the Middle East is in Egypt. And if you want food, you got to go down to Egypt and negotiate with Joseph. Buy food from Joseph. The second to command, the viceroy of Egypt. Lo and behold, who comes down to Egypt? Joseph's own brothers. They need food. They live in Israel. The whole family is hungry. And 
Joseph, there's a whole drama, there's, he gives him the runaround, and eventually Joseph exposes himself, unmasks himself, and says, I'm Joseph, I'm Joseph. I'm the, and they didn't recognize him so many years later. And Joseph invites his family, his father, <clears throat> his, his brothers, and all their families to come down to Egypt. He says, I'll give you a beautiful piece of land here in Egypt to live in. There's still going to be another five years left to this famine, only two years in. Come down, I'll give you a good piece of land. And this is really the story of how the Jewish people end up in Egypt. This is what brings them from the land of Israel, because the whole family, 70 souls, 70 souls, the family of Jacob, move to Egypt. Let's read our first source on page three. And here we go. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him because they were startled by his presence. Then, then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they drew closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. But do not be sad now, and don't let it trouble you that you sold me here. For it was to preserve life that God sent me before you. So Joseph is right away saying, don't worry, I don't, I, I don't harbor ill intent. I'm not upset at you. It was all God's doing. It was all for the good. For already two years of famine have passed in the midst of the land. And for another five years, there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to make for you a remnant in the land and to preserve it for you for a great deliverance. Quickly, go up to my father and say to him, So said your son Joseph, God has made me a lord over all the Egyptians. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your grandchildren, and your flocks and your cattle and all that is yours. I will sustain you there, for there are still five years of famine, lest you become impoverished, you and your household and all that is yours. So this is it. Joseph says, I want to take good care of you. Please don't stay in Israel. Uh, there's no food to go around there. I'll take very good care of you. So he invites them to come. Now, Jacob understood what's happening. Jacob understood what's happening. He knew that this is a pivotal moment in history. God told Abraham, it was a part of the covenant between God and Abraham that his children are going to be subjugated, they're going to be persecuted, they're going to be they're going to live in a land that's not theirs, they're going to suffer there for 400 years. And Jacob saw the writing on the wall. We, the whole family has to leave Israel, we're going down to Egypt. Jacob knew that this is the beginning of those 400 years. Jacob saw the exile that 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 this is going to be ushering in. And as, and as we can imagine, Jacob feared. Jacob feared. Jacob was simply scared. He was hesitant. He didn't want to take up the offer. And this is where the Rebbe begins on page four. <clears throat> the Torah portion of Vayigash <clears throat> tells of the beginning of the exile of Jacob and his sons. Okay. We have the story of exile. Now the Rebbe says, 
Jacob had already endured an exilic experience before when he left Be'er Sheva for Haran and he lived with Laban, with Lavan. Thus the novelty of the exile discussed in the portion of Ayigash is not in regards to Jacob, but in regards to his sons who went into exile together with him. With him. That's very interesting. Jacob already had to experience his own form of exile, of running away. He had to run away from his home. Esau wants to kill him. He's running for his life. But over here, he saw this is not just about me. This is not just a personal exile. This is going to be something that affects the whole people. And uh, here we have it, the beginning of the exile of the Jewish people. Jacob's descent into Egypt, together with his sons, was the beginning of the Egyptian exile, which is the first collective exile, about which our sages say all exiles are called by the name of Egypt. So this is a big deal. This is not just an exile for an individual. He saw this is the exile for the people. In a certain way, all exiles stem from the Egyptian exile. And therefore, Jacob showed fear. He showed apprehension. And therefore, continues the rabbi, this is why God said to Jacob, at this point, do not be afraid of descending to Egypt. Because this was the beginning of the concept of exile in its full sense. Here is really where we have this, God, God wants to comfort Jacob and says, don't fear. And this is what we have here, again from this week's parsha on page 5. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night. And he said, Jacob, Jacob. Jacob responded, here I am. God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid of going down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I will go down with you to Egypt. And I will bring you up. And Joseph will place his hand on your eye. God is telling Jacob, don't fear, you'll become a great nation. And the Rebbe continues, the Rebbe comments, it is clear why this clarification was necessary. Because Jacob could have questioned, why should he go into exile? The Rebbe is explaining here, you know, you need to understand a larger context of the story. Generally speaking, why should, why should Jacob be scared? Jacob has nothing to be scared about. This is the best situation possible. Famine hit the land. Lucky you, your own son is the only person who controls all the food in the region. He's inviting you to move down into his neck of the woods. He's giving you the best property in Egypt. The boardwalk. <laughs> he's telling you he's going to support you. Why is Jacob fearing? What's the fear? So the rabbi says, you have to understand what's happening over here. He sees the larger picture. He sees us going down to Egypt is the beginning of the exile of the Jewish people. This is, this is bad. And Jacob doesn't want to do it. He says, why should I go into exile? And God comforts him and says, don't fear. Now, friends, I just, let's, let's think about this for a moment. You know, don't we all ask the same question that Jacob asked? You know, every, every single person has their fear share, or if it's not fear, but every, everybody has to go through some pain, some difficulty, a personal exile, a personal struggle, a personal period of, um, of tension where something is really pressing you and stressing you. 
And we all share the exact same fear of our father Jacob. This apprehension. And, and asking, why do I need to go into this exile? Why do I need to do this? Now the Rebbe adds something else very, very interesting. One of the things that Jacob did over here is that Jacob, one of the ways that he expressed his fear and he poured out his heart to God in prayer by offering a sacrifice. And it's in the Torah. Part of his journey, before he actually left the land of Israel, he offered God a, a sacrifice and he expressed his fear. And he said specifically, the Torah describes it as he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God of Isaac. It doesn't say God of his forefathers. It doesn't say God of Abraham and Isaac. Only God of Isaac. And the Rebbe says, oh, the Rebbe looks into that and reads into that how it's part of Jacob expressing his fear. Very interesting. Let's read this. Middle of page 5. This is especially true because Jacob's father Isaac was instructed, don't descend to Egypt, dwell in the land. Isaac had been forbidden from leaving the land of Israel. <laughs> Jacob saw that his father himself was able to live his entire life only in Israel, only in the Holy Land. And here Jacob sees that he's being forced by circumstance to leave Israel. And he understood the meaning of that. And he, you know, he's asking the same thing. Why can't I be like my father? Why can't I also live my whole life in Israel? Why can't my family remain in Israel? Why do we have to go down to sojourn and become an alien people in a land that's not ours? And why do we need to suffer there? So let's continue inside. This is why prior to the above verses, we, re we read that Jacob, quote, offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Oh, Jacob only offered the sacrifice to his father Isaac. He's trying to tell God, why can't I be like Isaac? Why can't you be a God to me like you were a God to my father Isaac? You let Isaac, my father, stay here in Israel, why not me? And let's read the verse, bottom of page 5. Jacob and all that was his set out and came to Be'er Sheva, and he slaughtered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. There you have it. Page 6. The Rebbe continues. This raises the question. Why did Jacob mention specifically Isaac and not Abraham? Right Here the, here the Rebbe is, is, is looking into the verse. Nitpicking here. One second. Why Isaac? Why does he mention specifically the God of Isaac? He could have at least said his father in the general sense. Why did he emphasize his father Isaac? So the Rebbe answers, it is explained elsewhere, that this wording alludes to Jacob's argument. Why is he different from his father Isaac, who was able to fulfill his divine service of rectifying the divine sparks within the material realm while staying inside the land of Israel? Isaac was able to fulfill whatever spiritual mission he had. He was able to fulfill that by staying in the land of Israel. So why must he leave Israel in order to fulfill his service? Why does Jacob need to leave? Let's skip the next paragraph. In response to this, God said to Jacob, don't be afraid of descending to Egypt. God reassures Jacob. And what I want to do with you is go through how the Rebbe explains the reassurance. And we'll see that it's a very personal idea. Now, the real truth is like this. 
Jacob. Jacob is expressing fear. Jacob understands what's happening. This is not just another simple, benign, circumstantial little visit to Egypt. This is this is bringing, this is this is beginning, this this difficult phase of Jewish history. But really, God doesn't need to give Jacob an answer. Because, and Jacob knew this. This was part of the system. This, this was promised to Abraham. For 400 years, children of Abraham, they're going to have to suffer. They're going to have to live in a land that's not theirs. God doesn't need to give any excuses or answers or justifications or explanations to Jacob. You know, the Talmud even says, it's a very interesting Talmud, page 7, source 4. Rabbi Chia Bar Abba said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Our father Jacob should have gone down to Egypt in iron chains, as would an exile against his will, as it was already decreed by God and related to Abraham. However, his merit caused him to descend without suffering. <laughs> so the real truth is, the full 400 years should have been very difficult exile. And it was only because of Jacob's greatness that he was able to go down in pride and as a free man and not in shackles. But this, this, was, the, this was the divine decree. But we see, interestingly, despite this being the divine decree, God gives reassurance to Jacob. And in a certain way, God explains to Jacob what is happening here of this exile, what's really happening here. And that's what the Rebbe says on page 8. Let's start learning Let's start learning about the response from God to Jacob. We just learned about the question, the challenge, the internal struggle that Jacob was going through as he has to make this journey. Let's now speak about God's response. Says the Rebbe, however, this still doesn't explain why Jacob needed to go down to Egypt, as it would have been better for him to stay in Israel without going into exile. Right? Wouldn't that have been nice? And again, let's make this personal. Does anything that happens in our life need to be that way? So on the one hand, you know, if we ever have to suffer, and you know, there's so many, there's thousands of different ways how we each have our own different struggles. Some of them could be very minor struggles, some of them could be massive struggles. But even your car breaking down is in a certain sense a struggle, right? Your car breaks down, you need to buy a new car. You know, these are the types of things that could ruin your day, ruin your week. Or could be many, or could be the massive things, health problems, relationship problems. So these are the those are the big things. There's all types of challenges, financial difficulty. Would it be better if God didn't make us suffer that way? Of course, <laughs> just like the Jewish people. That's what that's what the Rebbe says. It would have been better for Jacob. It would have been better for everybody. Stay in Israel. Don't go into exile. Have a good life and don't have to suffer. But the rabbi says like this, there must be an explicit reason for the exile. There must be a good reason for the exile. Because it wouldn't be enough for Jacob to go to Egypt merely out of obedience to God. As divine service must be carried out joyfully. God did not want Jacob going down to Egypt out of obedience. This is what I said, this is divine decree, you gotta go. God wanted Jacob to go and carry out his divine service with joy. And therefore God explained to him 
what is happening here with this exile, why it needs to be this way. So the Rebbe continues, this is why God needed to add, for there I will make you into a great nation. That specifically through descending to Egypt, he will achieve this great elevation, culminating in, quote, I, God, will also bring you up. It is explained in Torah or a Hasidic text, based on the Midrash, that these represent two elevations, and the second elevation alludes to the future redemption. God tells Jacob, this is, this is how you'll become great. The greatness of the Jewish people will only be possible specifically through the descent into Egypt. And even the, the eventual redemption, the, re, the coming of Mashiach, it can only happen through this difficult period of time. Now what does that mean? What does that mean that we have to go through a difficult time in order for this to happen? So let's go to the middle of page 9, where the Rebbe is going to explain this a little bit more to us. And the Rebbe is going to show, the Rebbe is going to give three examples how we see in our practical world that sometimes greatness only comes through a certain, uh, uh, by having a process first of breaking, of decay. Very interesting. Here's the first example. Here's the first example. Inside an olive, inside an olive is a little uh, uh, hollow area within the olive where there is oil. How do you how do you access that oil? You have to crush it. You have to press it. You have to crush the olive and then the oils come out. And that is an analogy that's used. That's an analogy that's used in Hasidus quoting in the Talmud that sometimes the soul has to go through the same process. If you want the juices, if you want the oil of the soul to be released, that soul has to be crushed. And this was something which Hasidus explains a lot about something we spoke about a few weeks ago. The 19th of Kislev, the release of the Alter Rebbe from prison, the Alter Rebbe suffered tremendously for his spiritual work. And we saw that after the Alter Rebbe went through this crushing experience and then was released from prison, his work in teaching and spreading Hasidus took on a whole new life, a whole new dimension, a whole new quality that he wasn't doing before. And the Rebbe says, look, this is, this is the idea. The exile is itself what creates the greatness that follows. So let's read, middle of page 9. The crushing releases the oil. <clears throat> the teaching of the sages that an olive only releases its oil by being crushed is often quoted in connection with the Alter Rebbe's release from prison on the 19th of Kislev. Oh. You crush the olive, the oil comes out. Sometimes even a great Jewish leader needs to go through a crushing experience, a challenge, adversity. But then post that, the oils start being released. The greatness comes out. And we're going to quote here from the 5th Chabad Rebbe, from a talk he said in 1902. This is what he says. Bottom of page 9. He says, although it is difficult to say, nevertheless, the truth is indeed so. Just like an olive, 
precisely when you crush it, it releases its oil. So too, through the persecutions in Petersburg, the innermost levels were revealed. The innermost levels of Hasidus were revealed by the Alter Rebbe. And the main goal is the revelation of specifically the innermost levels. And what came after this crushing experience was the main point. So the Rebbe continues on page 10. The substance of the oil existed before the crushing of the olive. The oil is held within the olive. It's not absorbed into the fruit itself and is merely in a state of concealment. And even so, it can only be revealed by crushing the olive. How do you get the oil out? you got to crush the olive. Oh, and the Rebbe now says, this helps us understand the elevation that exile causes for the Jewish people. Now we could bring this back to in general, to the exile of Egypt, and to all of our own exiles, our personal exiles as well. Continues the Rebbe, there's a well-known teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, on the verse, you will be a desirable land. That the Jewish people are referred to as a desirable land. Because just as there are precious treasures buried in the land, so too does every Jew contain precious treasures. And every Jew is desired and deeply enjoyed by God. But in order to reveal these treasures, it is necessary to dig, like the process of crushing, to release the oil. The same thing we see in in the land. The natural land that we live in has unbelievable gifts. It is possible that we, in the 21st century, have not even yet discovered all the gifts that nature could offer to us. But it's unbelievable. In the land, even on the most basic level, there's diamonds, precious metals. Who knows what's underground? Special substances, oils. You dig, you find. Who knows what you'll find? But if you look at it on a surface level, surface level, I don't know, you know, there's no gold rush on a surface level. You gotta dig, you gotta find, you gotta sift. Oh, if you know how to dig and you know where to dig, you'll find treasures. Sometimes to bring out the greatness, to bring out the treasures within every single Jew, there has to be a process of digging. You have to break the surface. And you can't just leave it beautiful the way it is. You have to a little bit disturb the environment. And that itself releases the goodness. So continues the Rebbe, this is the goal of exile that we achieve a higher level as a result. As the verse states, I will make you a great nation there. The Jewish people didn't turn into a nation until after they went through the experience of suffering in Egypt. Until then, they were a family, a tribe. They didn't have this great exalted status of a nation. They couldn't yet go to receive the Torah. You know, we don't understand fully the, the, the mechanics of this. But the way it works is... And historically, by the way, we see this as well. Whenever the Jewish people went through a very difficult time of suffering, there was a tremendous period of growth and of innovation within the Jewish world, specifically post-suffering. And this is part of, you know, God's God's calculations. How are we supposed to understand how this works? But we see this sometimes a little bit in nature. Yes, Marshall. So is this directly translatable to an explanation for the Holocaust or the Hamas 
massacre. It's part of this whole process. Yes. Uh, yes. As, as uncomfortable as that may make us feel, God, first of all, we do blame God for everything. <laughs> you know, in Judaism, we never let God off the hook. We don't say, oh, that was Hamas, not God. No, no, no. God's in control. It's God's world. You know, we, we don't say there were evil Nazis and, uh, you know, where was God? Jewish faith says God was right there. Yeah. God let that happen. Maybe even say, you know, it sounds crazy and it's very disturbing. It's much more comfortable to say, oh, God wasn't there. Such horrible suffering. God wasn't there. God was missing. It's not the case. God puts us, God puts us through very difficult experiences. But what the Rebbe is saying is, you know, A, a cheap response to suffering, a cheap response to exile is, oh, it's divine punishment, divine retribution. You know, God has to keep score, and every now and then God has to kind of set the record straight, bills have to be paid, right, so to speak. It's a cheap response. And unfortunately, after the Holocaust, Rabbi said this, unfortunately. There was a rabbi, unfortunately, and the rabbi was so upset. There was a rabbi in Israel that uh, when Saddam Hussein was threatening Israel with, uh, with the Scud missiles, and Israel had no defense for those, and he said he's going to, you know, chemical, chemical attacks against the Jewish people. There was a rabbi in Israel who said the next Holocaust is here. God has a cup, a big, big cup. And uh, whenever a Jew sins, the cup fills with the Jewish people's sins. And at some point, God just says, you know what? We got to bring destruction. We got to bring punishment and retribution upon too many sins. And this rabbi said that by the Holocaust, it was a breaking point for God. He had to punish the people. And right now, so many people are sinning. So uh, next Holocaust. And the Rebbe was so upset. How do you dare speak against the Jew that way? How do you dare speak about God that way? Disgusting to say. You know? So it's easy to say, oh, it's just punishments. God's punishing the Jews. They go to Egypt. They go to Spanish Inquisition. They go to Holocausts. It's all punishments. What the Rebbe is saying is no. God reassures Jacob, don't worry. I know this is not going to be easy, but don't worry. This is all for your greatness. I will make you a great nation there. And that's indeed what happened in Egypt. The Jewish people flourished specifically when they were being oppressed. Bottom of page 10. Let's continue reading. On the verse, those who came, whom Jacob caused to take root, Israel flourished and blossomed. What's this verse saying? When Jacob came to Egypt, Israel flourished and blossomed. It is explained that in order for a seed to sprout, it won't help to place it in a protected place, such as in a gold or silver vessel. The only way, page 11, the only way to achieve growth is by placing the seed in the ground where it will decay. And only then can it grow properly. Similarly with the Jewish people. By, by planting them in the ground to take root, which represents the nullification of my soul is like dust to all, growth is achieved. 
Israel flourished and blossomed. It's very interesting. What happens to a seed? A seed doesn't immediately start growing a plant. First, the seed has to break down. It literally molds. It decays. It rots. It loses its previous identity. You know, so before you had a beautiful seed. It was a nice seed. Look, looked nice. And I'm sure it could have been useful, right? A seed, a seed is, is, is a good thing. A bird could eat it. I don't know. <laughs> what do you do to that seed? You put it in the ground. You cover it with, you cover it with soil. You water it. And we all know what water does. It, it literally molds and rots in the ground from the moisture. But that itself is what activates the growth. The decay itself brings the growth. And that's that's what happens to happen. That's what has to happen sometimes to the Jew. Where the soul feels broken, where the fo- where the soul feels like it's decaying, it's losing its strength, it's under attack. And sometimes specifically then, the growth, the juices, the oil, the treasures of the soul emerge. This was God's message to Jacob. He says, Don't fear, because this is part of the process. And there's greatness. I'm not making you suffer for the sake of suffering. It's suffering for the sake of finding greatness, which otherwise would not have been possible to find. And the Rebbe is now going to conclude this teaching by making it personal. The idea that sometimes we need to break ourselves to truly find success, to truly find greatness. And the Rebbe is going to comment on a teaching from the sages, which is probably one of the Rebbe's most favorite quotes. The Rebbe loved this. The Rebbe always said this. The Rebbe always evoked, invoked this, this teaching. This is from the, from the Talmud, Tractate Megillah. Let's read. Source 7 on page 12. Rabbi Yitzchak also said, If a person says to you, I have worked hard and not found success, do not believe him. <laughs> you see this? The Talmud really believes in us. If you work hard, you will succeed. If they say you worked hard, you didn't succeed, don't believe. If he says, I have not worked hard, but I have found success, do not believe him. There's no success without working hard. But if somebody says, I have worked hard and I have found success, believe him. So there's two messages here. One is, there's no such thing as working hard and that you won't find success. But the other message is, there's no succeeding without working hard. And the Rebbe is going to ask a question here. The Rebbe is like, who said? There are some very, very smart people, for example. And they are very successful intellectually. They could study very well. They could study very quickly. They have quick, quick grasp. And they could claim, you know, I don't have to work that hard and I'm smart. I don't have to work that hard and I gain a lot of knowledge. The Rebbe says, why is the Talmud saying so unequivocally you cannot be successful. You will not find success unless you work hard. Don't some people have it easier by natural talent? And that was going to connect it with the same theme from here. There is no finding real growth without the breaking point. So let's read what the Rebbe says. This explains why exertion is necessary. Exertion and exerting yourself is necessary in life. To the extent, it's so important to the extent that the sages teach that if a person says, I did not work hard, but I found success, do not believe him. 
The Rebbe says it's an absolute impossibility. At first glance, this appears difficult because we see intellectually gifted people who are able to grasp concepts with minimal mental effort. Right? Don't we see people like that? That they don't have to work so hard and they do succeed? How then can it be said, I didn't work hard, but I found success? Do not believe him. So I was going to answer like this. It is explained, it is explained in Kuntres Umayon. Kuntres Umayon is a Hasidic text. That even an intellectually gifted person needs to invest effort. Nobody is off the hook. Everybody needs to exert themselves. Why? Because without effort, he is only capable of grasping the idea within the limits of his intellectual capabilities. Interesting. If you never break yourself, you're staying within the same basic framework of who you are. You're always staying within your basic limitations. Or in other words, if you want to remain a seed, you will always be a seed. Yeah, you could be a nicer seed, <laughs> but you'll still be a seed. You won't be a plant. But, let's continue, but through effort, however, a person can reach a level of understanding that is far beyond his personal intellectual capacity. You don't want to remain a seed. You want to become a plant. You want to sprout. You want to go beyond your limitations. For that, you need to exert yourself. For that, you need to be willing to break yourself. The sages here use the word find because this success is like a find which comes unrelated to any reasonable anticipation. It's like, wow, something brand new is happening here. I didn't even think I'd find this. Page 13. Since effort enables all of us to reach incredible heights, this becomes an obligation for us all, not just a nice practice. Without, without effort, a person is not serving God as he should be. So the Rebbe's all tying it in. Jacob was facing a difficult phase for the Jewish people, for his children. We all face those difficult phases. The Rebbe says those difficult phases are a necessity. They help us grow beyond who we currently are. They help us become a great nation. They help release our oils. Without it, we would just be more of the same. We can never really truly reach new heights. We can never make a true leap beyond who we are. And God sometimes puts us in those situations. And it's not for us to suffer, but God reassures Jacob. He didn't need to reassure Jacob. He could have told Jacob, this is what I told Abraham. It's part of the deal. Accept your fate. He didn't say that. God told Jacob, don't worry. It's suffering for the sake of greatness. I'll make you into great people. This suffering itself is what's going to lead to the eventual redemption of the Jewish people, the coming of Mashiach. And the Rebbe says we see this clearly in our lives. We need to be willing to go through the difficult struggles, even intellectual struggles, whatever it is. And that is truly where we grow and become something new. And the Rebbe concludes like this. The advantage Jacob was promised as a result of exile, I will make you into a great nation there, is not only said to Jacob or to people similar just to him, like great, great people. But the Rebbe says this is said to each and every Jew as an individual, not just as part of the Jewish collective. This is to, said to you. And this is why it is worded in the Hebrew singular in the Hebrew singular form of you 
As is the promise, I, God, will also bring you up. When God promises to Jacob, the Rebbe says it's such a beautiful idea. When, the Rebbe, when, when God promises Jacob, I will lift you up from Egypt and take you out, he doesn't say you in the plural term. In Hebrew, you could say you, which is speaking to a collective. You could also say you speaking to an individual. In English, it's all the same word. But in Hebrew, it's two separate words. Grammatically, God should have used the plural form because God is speaking about the Jewish people. But God speaks, God uses the singular term. I will take you up. You, the individual, I'll bring you up. God is speaking to every single Jew. That the suffering, the exile, is all for us, for God, to lift us up. The Rebbe concludes, this is especially relevant to those people who find themselves in an exile within an exile. Which means there's the exile of the Jewish collective, and then we all have our own exiles, our own internal struggles, our own spiritual struggles. Says the Rebbe, they must know, every Jew must know, that the purpose of this is not to cause them pain, God forbid. But on the contrary, the gain is commensurate with the pain. The whole point is the gain. And their difficulties enable them to reach greater heights. So dear friends, next time we face a difficult moment, a difficult day, a difficult period in our lives, whatever it is, we have to remember what God told Jacob when Jacob was also facing facing difficulty in the, in the face. And God wanted to reassure Jacob so that Jacob should be able to go happily down to Egypt. Despite knowing that it's going to be very uncomfortable. But he should know there's a purpose. He should know that God's looking out for him and that it's all for our benefit. God is not making a Jew suffer. God is helping us to become a greater version of you, which would not have been possible if you're just doing things in the, in the regular way. But through exertion, through breaking the olive, the oils could be released. And the Rebbe wants us to remember that. There's tremendous gain that's going to come from this. And dear friends, that is our Torah deep dive for the Parshas, week of Parshas Vayigash. Thank you so much for joining. And I know it's a little bit of a more difficult time. People are out of town. People are coming to town. But uh, God willing, as, as long as we can, we'll be doing this on a weekly basis. So thank you all for joining.